So welcome back to No Class Podcast, the podcast that has unfiltered conversations about everything you didn't learn in school. So I want to say hello. I am Chantel. And where's my co-host? Hey, hey. I'm over here. I'm over here. We in like this little Brady Bunch matrix. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) So we have two guests who are joining us once again. They are very special and integral to a conversation that... um, is going it might hit home for some of you some of you probably won't be able to relate but i don't know we'll see so my guests please take your time introduce yourselves give us a spiel what's up i'm sean i don't have a spiel i never have a spiel but i'm here you just you being you and you just me being me laying on the couch like lisa ray <laughs> high <laughs> as hell <laughs> wait a minute uh i'm i'm max i'm so glad to to be here with y'all again i miss baltimore i miss my home i, I want to be around black people just in case the next civil war breaks out <laughs> I, I mean it sounds like this it sounds like this these these are the thoughts i have <laughs> know your history know your history that's legit (laughs) true so um i will be introing this conversation so um we will be having a conversation around identity and i guess the geographical location um that you were born in or raised in and how you relate to it or if you don't relate to it why you don't relate to it and the reason we even wanted to have this conversation is because when Maxwell was introducing himself he said he misses Baltimore and that's not what we say so I um we had a conversation weeks ago and we were talking about how um when he's in Seattle because that's where he is right now and he tells people that he's from Baltimore. They're like, "What? No! Oh wait, no! You said something more specific." Go no, ahead. No, no, no. So, so in this situation, I want to say the first interaction that I had with someone uh, was from Texas, Houston specifically. Yeah, right? let's let's do that. You need Houston. to be specific. Like, you need to be specific about it. Houston specifically, <laughs> um, which is an area that is heavily populated by Black people, um, and so. We were having a conversation. I forget about what, but that's not important. Uh, he asked me where I was from, and I said, I'm from Baltimore. And he was like, no, you're not. He's like, he's like, you're not from there. And uh, he's like, all right, the only way you can prove it, count to 10. Oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> that just like, my whole spirit is broken just yes. on that question. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> He's like, count to 10. You're my own Sesame Street. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, and no, so at first I was like, what do you mean count it? And I was like, oh, <laughs> bro, not this again. 
not this. But yeah, they're wait. I tell think, people what it means. For yeah. that don't know what that means. Right. Tell them what not this is and why my spirit was just broken from that question. And what he was trying to get you to say. All right. So he was trying to get me to say two. <laughs> no, he wasn't. <laughs> don't lie. No, <laughs> that is not the word. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean, generally. Baltimore people tend to over enunciate uh, their vows. <laughs> Keep we going. Do. We do. We do. We do. And uh, I think it is depending on where you come from, you can notice that in an easier way. So, for instance, I was dealing with him. He's from Houston. He probably wasn't hearing it. But if I was to go to Philly, I remember going to school in Philly and people were like, like, nigga, like, what, like, what did you say? Like, say that word again? Um, so, it, yeah, it's, it's interesting, depending on the spaces that you, you exist in, uh, what people will apply to your speech and, and what that means about you. And so that, that's where that conversation came from. <sighs> It was a it was a tough one. Um, <laughs> breathing still, Chantel. I am breathing. I am breathing, but it's just because I also faced that. And I went to I went like Max went to college in Philly, so actually I, I could see them I could see them <coughs> question you more about that just because you were fresh from Baltimore too, you mm -hmm. know. So, but it's interesting that they that they questioned you about it because I feel like Baltimore people and Philly people sound similar. I think in, in in some in some regards they do, but I, I they think do they're definitely they cousins. They're they're definitely cousins. See, and Anthony is out. Okay, and so is Sean. <laughs> <laughs> I I can't. I feel like I feel like I had to try too hard to to say that when I'm when I'm angry or like if I'm yelling at someone. There there are probably moments where it, like the Baltimore part of me peaks, like it peaks out, it, like. It, it like right outside of the door like it'll it'll put its head right outside of the, like right outside of the door and say hey you're like i'm here <laughs> but, but it's hard because um a lot of your speech and a lot of your your dialect and and how you pronounce words um comes from the people that you surround yourself with mm -hmm. and so for me my my first contact with any form of, of dialect would have been my parents who who don't speak like that at all uh so it, it's it's hard for me to pronounce words like that but i a little bit a little tinge like sprinkle it on sprinkle it on <laughs> but this is just a small um like this is just the the smallest part of that conversation you know like just the language alone because i have seen on social media where they're doing like word challenges like st louis and baltimore like say these words say these words now i know i went to school close to dc and saying <laughs> certain words like if i say oh gosh i'm gonna say it. Yeah, we should have like, invited someone from pg i just feel so conscious of my words right now especially like being like going to, like living outside of baltimore for a period of time 
has allowed me to see and to understand and hear the intonations and, and the inflections in my speech. Mm-hmm. But I don't hear it. Well, I hear it while I'm here too. See, God damn it. Like, I feel like I can't say it. <laughs> But if I say like Arya or like Kurt or something like that, they're like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, I remember somebody I know who had a real issue with that with one of our um, classmates. But anyway, so like I said, it's a very small part of the conversation. Um, usually, you know, geographically, like we do have certain speech inflections and things that that are characteristic of the environment we grew up in and the place we're from but there are some people who can't relate can't relate to that at all or like are completely disconnected to it and here here in the conversation we have two people who connect with it in some way and two people who don't and if you're curious about the two people who don't it's anthony and sean so (laughs) (laughs) so um i want to i want to just say that we we myself and maxwell we do connect so i want to get your perspective anthony and sean about i guess where you are from and Mm -hmm. why or why or why not you have a certain connection to that space where you're born or where you were raised So I'm from Richmond, Virginia, um, and I lived in Richmond up until 28 and 32 now. And I don't know. I don't know that I ever really connected to Richmond because, like, my my aunts, I have five aunts and then my mom, so my grandparents had six girls, um, and my grandfather was in the Coast Guard. So they moved around. So I have aunts that were born in like Portland, Maine. Um, my mom was born in Connecticut. My grandmother's from a small um, town called Monroe, North Carolina. Um, some of my aunts were born in New York. I think another one was born in Boston. And so like they moved around quite a bit. So nobody in my family has the same speech um, pattern, intonations, inflections, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I was born in Richmond, spent most of my time there, grew up in the hood. Um, but I always, I ended up going to like white adjacent schools. And so I didn't necessarily have that like deep rooted connection to the language from the environment of which I was being raised in. Um, you know, I was the kid in the honors classes and all that. So, you know, that the system tends to work those things out of you over time, for better or for worse, however you want to approach it. But I've always been told, like people will always ask me where you're from. Uh, It's never, they can never guess, they never get Virginia. And I think Virginia is just really interesting in the sense that it's literally right smack dab in the middle of Northern states and Southern states. And folks are like, y'all aren't the South, you know, you're you're considered a mid-Atlantic, well, people consider a mid-Atlantic state um we think it's the south it was the capital of the confederacy so i think that sort of stands for something and while it may not have been like deep ingratiated ingrained racism um in virginia it kind of was a hub for it in some aspects and so 
you had like the you get a mix of everything you know you get the pennsylvania dutch you get the um the appalachia uh you get you know it can be just as country as it is uh urban and so i think my my language tends to reflect and dip and delve and weave and wove through a little bit of everything but i don't know white people will still be racist though and you know where are you from oh you're trying to say you think i speak proper or appropriate or i don't sound black and you know so so that question comes up and i've gotten canada i've gotten islands i've got wow and I've had black people ask me that as well. You know, where where are you from? Which island are you from? And I'm like, what? What island? I don't know. So yeah, I've never really been able to pin down um, language and just connection to the environment just because my family is all over the place and we're unable to like really trace everything because the the older black people were very private you know i think it was some incestuous behavior or something so being able to really root out actual connection to that is something that um has been very difficult that makes sense um that makes sense um it's a question that i have honestly as far as the um i'm from like charlestown west virginia in the frederick maryland area and so um, I think that a, probably of all things that I could have gotten from the place that I came from could have been language that b would have been attachment to that place that I think is very different though. And um, when I look on both sides of my family, it's interesting. There are some like aunts and uncles that have really deep and very strong accents. Mm -hmm. And then like my mom and my dad don't have very strong accents. <laughs> And I've asked my mom, like, how did that happen? And she was like, mm, I don't know. You know what I mean? I don't know. Um, my prediction is um, possibly both of them um, right after my mom pretty much married my dad and they, my dad was going to the army. So um, I do know when you move more places, people are able to notice. I wouldn't be surprised if my mom did practice trying to lose her accent if she did have a stronger one. And then also at the same time, I wouldn't be like she has just spoken that way her entire life. Um, I know that for me, when um, I was living there and I got my second job, I was 16, I was working in a call center. And that's the first time that people um, pointed out that they were, people would be like, well, you sound like you have a little bit of a twang. Like there's something that's going mm -hmm. on there. Like, a little Southern about your voice, where are you at? Nobody would ever be like, you sound real country or you sound like you gotta be in the South. They'd be like, it sounds like there's a little bit of something there. And um, I would be like, oh shoot, that's not, because we were taught in like culture of like call center that like when people had very strong accents to try to work on that and fix it because literally people wouldn't be able to understand some people who had such strong accents. So that was the only point in which that I can recall that I was trying to learn and, and switch the way that I was talking. So it didn't sound like where I was from. Um, but other than that, other than that, like once in a while, I'll hear a word or say something I say, I'm like, hmm. That sounds like my aunt so-and-so or my uncle so-and-so. Um, but I say that the language is probably the only thing that I could have carried from that place for my identity because like everything about where I'm from other than my family lives there, that's the only reason why I visit. Um, I have no good, um, <laughs> like I don't have a lot of good experiences, relationships with the place that I'm from because um, 
and I attribute a lot. I'm not from Baltimore, but I often am like, Baltimore is like the rebirth of who I am. I feel mm-hmm. like that that was new career started here, new like relationships and friendships and all these things of, of who I am today. And um, I've had to unlearn and, and try to figure out and I guess unlearn probably isn't the word, but kind of like understand like that relationship that I had from where I, I grew up and not have so much um, hatred to it. Like I, there's a lot of things that I actually like hate and a lot of trauma that has been there from that place. And yes, some of those things have been from people and individuals, but also just like the environment in which it existed allowed that to continue to perpetuate. Um, and so that's been hard for me to be like, um, and still see, like I have family members that very much love and are proud of where we're from. And um, it's taken me a while to get to a place to be able to hear them even be like, this is why I'm proud of it and like it and be like, oh, okay, cool. Because before I'd be like ready to beat them down with a baseball bat and be like, you should hate this place too. Um, so that's me with where I'm from and with language. It's yeah. That's so interesting. I like how you talked about, you know, I guess if you embrace your identity, if you embrace that identity of where you're from. So I wanna I wanna make that question available to everyone. Do you embrace your where you're from as part of your identity ever. Like Sean, when people were asking you like where you're from, I know it probably was annoying to you because they were trying to guess all these different things, but have you ever embraced like, yeah, I'm from Richmond or like, it's just like, okay, I was born in Richmond, but like, I feel, I feel nothing towards it. Now I live where I live or Maxwell, like, what has been your take on it? And then I'll answer myself. Yeah, um, I I don't really have a connection to Richmond, and I'm very much so, I think that's my general disposition for the United States across the board. Like, I've never felt at home in anywhere, and I've traveled um, quite a bit throughout the country. But, yeah, I have no connection to any aspect of, this country and I know this isn't home to me so I am in that space now trying to figure out like what that feels like what that looks like but also why I don't have that connection um is you know Richmond was what it was it wasn't you know we weren't well to do but we weren't you know homeless poor like we were we, we had some moments um and I think Rich- Richmond lent itself to that and it, but it was an interesting place to grow up because you got again, the aspects of the South, but it wasn't the deep South. Um, but you also got that Northern culture because also a lot of people from the North would, you know, send their family members down. Like Virginia was sort of that restart. It was a good middle ground for, for people. It was a good safe space. It had crime, but it wasn't, you know, off the charts um, across the board. But yeah, I don't know. I never really, I never really built a connection to my hometown it could be just because like I moved around a lot as a kid within um, the state um so I don't know I don't know uh I, I think I think for me I uh and I I don't necessarily I don't think about it too often but if I was to sort of I guess, look back to 
environments that I've, I've traveled in um, from mm-hmm. my youth to adulthood, I've, I've always kind of existed between two cities. And those two cities would be Baltimore and Philadelphia. Um, and my parents, and I guess also you could consider Hersberg, and my parents constantly had me jump like through all of those environments. And so when you hear me talk, you'll, you'll hear elements of both. Uh, and typically, I, I think when, it, when I'm really conscious of it is when it's called out. And that normally only happens in white spaces. So for instance, black people, we have a tendency to use double negatives. Uh, I know that I often say like, not never, like a lot, yo, I'm like, I'm like, I'm not never going to do that. Like, I'm not never going to do this. I'm not never going to do that. Um, And when I was, if I'm in Baltimore or I'm in Philly, it's not, it's not a problem. Right. But then when you come into Seattle, and outside of the context of a meeting, for instance, right? And I'm sitting in a space where I, I perceive white people to, to be my friends uh, and we're having water cooler talk. Sometimes that comes out and it's like, yo, what did you just say? Mm. Like, not never, why would you talk like that? Um, and what that is representative of for me is the tension, um, not not only that exists for uh, just code switching, right, in general, uh, but then also regional dialect mm. and how that differs. Because there are things that people say in Seattle that I completely don't understand, like, um, and that I, I would need to be educated on. That I'm just like, yo, like, why would you say that? Um, but I think even on a, a deeper level, what I've noticed in the conversations that I've been having here, when I, when I talk to, to people who come from places like Sacramento, for instance, where they may have been the only black family for like four to five miles and they, they go to school and like they're one of, of three, right? They have a tendency to speak like this, right? Uh, and that inflection can be triggering for some people, or it sends a message to some people where it's like, yo, if you talk like that, then me and you, like, there is no cultural, like, solidarity. <laughs> and so we should stay away. We should stay away from each other. Uh, and I think that presumption is dangerous. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, and I, th- I want to introduce that into the conversation. Have you all, and I, I guess I'm talking specifically with to Anthony and Shine, have you all been in spaces where people have kind of like stopped you mid-speech or have even characterized the way that you communicate as talking white? Mm-hmm. And um, how do you feel about that? Because I, I have personally been in those situations, mm. uh, but then I've also been like armed with the knowledge that like, there is a whole diaspora and people come from a multitude of backgrounds and, and that will influence uh, how we speak. So yeah, uh, either one of y'all, like, how do y'all feel about that? 
Yes, all the time. <laughs> all the time. Like every every stage of my life, I think I can recount a story where that statement has been said to me. Um, I, I worked at Kings of Maine one time and this white lady came up to me and she asked for directions for something in the park. And I started giving her the directions and she's like, you know, where are you from? And I immediately knew or suspected what she was getting at. Um, and so I played along with it because I had time that day. So I said, I'm from Richmond. Richmond, like, and she was like, where's that, Canada? I was like, okay. See, bitch. What? <laughs> right, right, right. You're trying it today. All right, it's hot out here. <laughs> um, so, you know, I told her, I was like, no, it's in Virginia. And she was like, oh, oh, you know, and went on the, you speak so well. And I was just like, oh, okay. Um, and she's like, you know, where did you, where did you go to school? Where did you go to high school? And I said, well, I went to military school. Oh, yeah, that must be it. And I was just like, let me walk away before I smack this woman. But I don't, something about that statement is very triggering um, because it signifies to you that you aren't a part of that culture. Mm. You know, you there's something inherently wrong with you if you're unable or you don't regularly speak um, in that particular manner, like, or using African-American vernacular English. And it's just like, while I can do that and I navigate it, I think there's also, there is an, the duality of the importance of being able to code switch and the traumatic <laughs> nature of being expected to code switch. Um, but it's just like when I navigate particular environments, if I'm trying to, if that's what I'm relating to at the moment, like the, the, biggest way that you can relate to people is through language um you know i started studying the second language and so when i'm interacting with folks from the culture who i know speak that particular language if they're okay with it and if it's a comfortable time you know i try and speak to them in their language because that's how you connect with folks so it's just like it's i don't know why people would not expect you to pick up various variants of language, especially in English, if you're a person who was born in a particular place, but also had to navigate other spaces. You know, I went to school in the mountains. I did go to military school, which pulled in a mix of kids from various places. I was in a lot of programs, so I interacted with kids from the counties. I traveled a lot. I had family in the country, you know, so it was just like, of course, I would pick up elements of that along the way. You sort of um, changes so yeah like you said it is very triggering when you hear that but also I try and um I don't know I like stories and I like understanding people's experiences so while I can't acknowledge that there's a very um apparent undertone of racism in that question um or othering in that question I also try to figure out like what's someone's motivation behind asking like are you asking for a story are you really trying to be racist or discriminatory? Are you trying to figure me out? Like, is there a distrust there? Like, what's going on? So, yeah, I just try to figure out like, what people are navigating at the time. But, yes, I get that question a lot. Um, I think it's a 
I'm thinking about the, I'm trying to think about some scenarios. So one time that I've gotten it was, um, well, not a one, a couple of times. Um, I haven't been doing it because, anyway, I used to facilitate workshops in prisons. And so um, I had to be, just like in any other time, we'll facilitate know your audience. And then there were times where I was like, oh, people would be like, mm, you're using big words and stuff. Where'd you go to school? And then like that, which I think is different, a little bit different. And it's like, oh, okay. And it's like, well, I'm not at work and I can talk to y'all and feel comfortable and talk to you the same way that I would talk to like family and stuff and be like, okay. Like, um, versus there's been times where I've been in spaces and people have been like, oh, you talk so articulately. And um, both from black and from white people, and um, a lot of times when I'm getting it from Black people, it is from, and it has been from elders trying to say, basically, you're so young, I wasn't expecting you to be able to articulate and, and speak this way and show up in this way. And then, which is a, a different approach. It's, it's still something. It's still like ages. Um, it's easier for me to be able to navigate mm -hmm. and like feel through versus white people who I have been learned to usually say if I'm getting a feel for that there are racist undertones in it because sometimes they they say the shit and they have no idea what kind of implication and impact that it has <laughs> and so like you said Sean and asking the questions and so sometimes I'll be like oh so you were surprised by that so tell me more <laughs> you know what I mean and then I can tell based on asking that question how <laughs> super thrown off they are and, and what that means or by like, oh, uh, well, actually, I was trying to find another word or whatever, and we can, and I can kind of put it in a box and then kind of go from there. So I, my process is like, where are you at on the spectrum with this comment that you're coming with? So that is a very facilitator thing to do, though. <laughs> like, no, no, no one else, like that wouldn't trigger anyone else to ask that follow-up question. But a well, facilitator... A facilitator is like, okay, all right. Let me, let me but that's that's a good that's a good de-escalation tactic. So I appreciate that. Yeah. I appreciate it's very that. Mature. It's very much. I need that. It's it's not. I would say it's not the typical response, right? And right. so fun. One of the things that you mentioned uh, is the othering that that mm -hmm. takes like takes place and the distrust. And what I've witnessed uh, specifically in black spaces is that when you hear that inflection, right? And uh, when you hear that tone of voice and the way that a black person communicates, what you automatically do is start to disassociate with them. And I feel like that is very dangerous uh, because it is, it is an unfounded fear almost, right? And it doesn't, it creates an unnecessary barrier because it doesn't allow you to get to know that person uh, in totality. Uh, so I want to just highlight a story that I've, I've experienced here. I went to a talk uh, that was done by a woman and who's from Macon, Georgia. And so, so not, not, not country, not country, but Southern. Distinction and what she talked about uh, was just how we we show up in white spaces. Um, and after that, we all went out, uh, and this was like the the Black Union for the place I work at. 
we all went out and we got drinks together. And so you have this collection of people who are from a wide, wide array of places. And so we're all going to sound different based on where we're from. And there was a woman who was engaging in conversation with me and another friend that I have who's from New York, like, like Brooklyn boroughs, like New York. And this woman was from California and, and from a space in California where there are not a ton of black people. Uh, and so as soon as that woman started to speak, my friend comes over and she whispers to me and she's like, uh-uh. It's like, I can't, can't do it, can't do it. Like, like, what is, like, what's wrong? And I was just like, why do you have such dismissiveness towards the way that she speaks? And she's like, like, but you hear her. You, like, you know what that means. And initially I was like, yeah, like, I do know what that means. But then I started to like, think about it. And I was like, no, let me unpack this. Why is that so triggering for me? And what am I defending myself from? Right? Why am I going to a space where it's like, hey, I cannot associate with this person because they sound different than me. And I do not recognize this. And it's not familiar to me. Mm -hmm. uh, and ultimately, the conclusion that I came to is because I feel as though, based on the, t the intonation of this person's voice, that they are white aligned. When the reality is that that could be totally false. Mm -hmm. And so when we start to, to have that psychology um, and the interactions that we have with other Black people, we limit how we show up, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of the dimensionality of Blackness, mm -hmm. right? But it also disregards the fact that we have been all throughout this country. Mm -hmm. And we should be different based on that. Um, and so I, I think that's why this is an important conversation to have, because uh, we can sort of like open up the valve on what it means to be black. Yes. Uh, I wanted to touch on all those things I'm, too. I'm, yeah. <laughs> Seriously, like I feel like the conversation has, um, it's shifting, but it's also, it's also, creating sort of like a roundabout in our identities because um I can I I relate most to the otherness felt in blackness mm -hmm. I relate most to um people considering me other as as black people and not as older black not from older black people but from my peers people who are my age like especially when I was when I moved back to Baltimore and there were certain words that I said, there were certain, um, there, like I neutralized my accent a little bit more too. And so a lot of people were like, damn, you went to that white school and, you know, tried to do that blackness thing. And I was like, oh no, like you ain't gonna do that to me. Well, I mean, that's just cause that's how I, I react to things anyway. But they were just like, oh, she's still black. But, um, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's interesting. And I, and you know, Earlier in the conversation, I definitely minimized language um, as being a small part of this, but like y'all are showing me that it is like we we even had a conversation in a previous episode about AAVE, and um, I just didn't realize 
how important it was. I didn't know we would have so much to say about language itself and how connected we are or disconnected we are from different regions or how that plays a role in how we are navigating in our spaces with black people and with white people or whoever, you know? So I find that interesting. And I also would like to point out that um, it's symbolic of the tribalism we've had in the, across the diaspora. Like all of us are sitting on the screen right now and we are black people. So we have a connectedness through our skin color and our race, but us having our different stories and what you all spoke to as you know you were talking about moving around and how the language is carried or how it's disbanded it's also symbolic of the separation of black people as well you know so i i just i'm this conversation is so interesting right now <laughs> like i'm so excited i was gonna say like the <clears throat> The biggest thing to me when Maxwell brought up when he was talking about like that bias that we, that unconscious bias that we sometimes come to the table with. I had to check myself last night while watching a Netflix documentary um, and they were talking about like the wave of progressive candidates, um, progressive women that uh, ran for House and Senate in 2016 or whatever. And one of the representatives for one of the candidates was this green-eyed white dude from Kentucky with this accent. But he's on the screen and he's talking about equity. He's talking about the need to put more people of color in positions of power and all these things. But I could not get past that association of his accents with someone being a redneck or someone being backwards and expecting that immediate um, sort of racist uh, interaction and it sort of made me think that as black people we're in this position where we have a sensitivity to being a victim of racism that we are able to sweep under the rug our daily um, unconscious biases that we have not even just with people of other races but as we've indicated among ourselves when it comes to languages of different regions you know um, Chantel, when you were saying like you had to get to the point of reacting how you reacted for people to associate that with your blackness, like that becomes problematic to me because I'm not, I try not to be a very aggressive person. I usually try to be chill. I'm crazy and I have my moments, but I hate that that is the moment that people go, oh, you're black. Instead of taking an opportunity to, you know, like you said, like listening to the language, understanding what the story is behind it, how that connects overall to your blackness, because like, you know, if you need me to come out of the bag at you, like that's a problem. That's a whole nother discussion that we're having. Um, but yeah, this is just sort of we're able to navigate, you know, with the sensitivity of being victims of racism, but we don't have to check our own biases when it comes to interacting with people. And like that bothers me. That that bothers me. It's a double edged sword, but it bothers me. No, I it's it you're hundred you're hundred percent right. We do sweep that under under the rug. And uh I think it becomes even even more problematic for the the black intelligentsia who, mm -hmm. who claim to to know what's going on, who claim to be woke. To, to like who claim to understand right mm -hmm. uh, our history but still operate this way and so it is it's deeply embedded and in, into mm -hmm. our psyche uh and it it shows like shades of uh the willie lynch theory right 
that division and that separation of like the house Negro and the field Negro. It's like when you hear somebody talk a certain way, right? When you see a certain skin tone on someone, you're immediately like, all right, this is who this person is. Mm-hmm. And, and to have those presumptions are so dangerous. And uh, I think on top of that, for people who, who come from spaces, right, and have lived in spaces that are majority white, and if that is their foundation, they still may be on a journey to learn more about their identity, like we all are. And they may want to be in those spaces. And for that to be a barrier for them to have access to a culture that they have been longing for is bad. Speak for yeah. the Malcolm. Yeah. <laughs> that's what that's where I like, that's my biggest problem with it all. Like it's bad. Yeah. Um, <sighs> This is so refreshing. I didn't know that this conversation would um, take this turn. Like, I mean, it's not, it's, it's a good turn, you know, because this is way deeper than I even imagined it. Like I, I was definitely thinking more on like a, a it was more superficial, I'm not gonna lie, but it's gotten so deep right now. And we have more conversations to be had about this because identity is so deep to us, you know? How we, how we carry ourselves in this world, how we interact with others, like who we are, who people think we are, is so mm-hmm. important, like who our images are. We've seen, we've seen on social media about everything happening with um, George Floyd and Breonna Taylor, like celebrities aligning or not aligning, like how that's reacting with them or how they're reacting meaning like if they choose to speak up about it because they don't want to tarnish their brand or or if it emphasizes their brand a little bit more so it's like we love identity so much that we put it out on display on facebook and on other forms of social media and we um align ourselves a certain way you know Mm -hmm. so i i want to get I want to ask a question and I don't know if this will be changing the tone, but it might, I feel like it, I feel like it's still relatable, but how much do you relate to um, the identity that's portrayed in media of the, of where you're from or where you live? Like, do you fall in line with it? Like, is it Mm. something that um, troubles you or what, what, what's going on? Yeah, I so I um watched this documentary recently that my friend who's from the same place that I am shared with me on Hulu. It's called Hillbillies. And so the documentary, she goes through a good story of talking about one. Um it was different for me to see somebody kind of um talk about Appalachia instead of um a lot of times it's been talked about like people where I'm from identify as by like state and then within your city hmm. to talk about from Appalachia all the way, like as far South and as far North, um, she starts to talk about th- this woman is from, I think she was from West Virginia or from Kentucky. And um, basically she's a white woman. And then she moved and did her college on the West coast, comes back to her small town and then is able to see um, some of the beliefs that her family has that she has different from hers. And it takes place in the 2016 election when she's voting for Hillary, her family's voting for Trump. Um, mm-hmm. In the story, they show the stories of also her and you know the, the trope that you get with small town people working in coal mines 
to LGBTQ people in the Appalachia, to um, Afrolations for Black people, which I had never heard of that term before. Ooh, they got, they put Afro on anything, man. Yes. <laughs> um, so it had this conversation, it did not go super deep, but it was an introduction into here's the complexity of the Appalachians and which um, I had never seen before somebody to live in like a piece of that region. And they talked about the problem of what America has if they are continue to be stereotyped as we're outside barefoot and you know what I mean? And, and stupid and all of this. So there's one part of it that's that, but that's always held as these are white people that are, that live in these areas. And so for me, um, when I tell people I'm going home to Frederick, or I'm going home to Charleston, people are like, there's black people there. What? Huh? <laughs> it reinforces the narrative that everybody has is that black people don't exist there at the same time. I did not see black presence other than we were so segregated. You go to church, we were in like school together, but you really didn't see black people in political positions um, and leadership positions and job place. And so it always gave this narrative to me living there that was also like, you don't belong here. Like not only do people not think that you are here, but you also don't belong here because there's not a role for you to have like um, a very, um, to, to have like a, a key role or a key stake in something. And even though historically enslaved people lived there, there were rebellions that were there that like in my town, like um, you're able to see where enslaved people were, were sold at and stuff. It's always been a narrative for us that like black people aren't supposed to be here and it's just like just white people. And I think that's how, that also goes into play with me being like, uh, I don't have connections there because media doesn't leave room to be like, you're even from here. You're not even supposed to be here. We're supposed to continue to think that only white people exist in this space. Mm. Um, so it's complicated. Yeah. I wish I was trying to look it up. There's a, a whole uh, historical account of like black people being in Appalachia. And you, there's another term for it or another group of people. And I can't think of it right now. I wish I could. Um, I'll have to try and find it. But yeah. That was, I didn't really have anything to add to that, but that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, it, it, I I'm I wrote it down, Anthony, because I'm gonna try to find that documentary. If you could send me send me a link, um, that'd be great because I would love to to check it out. Um, I'm I'm trying to think about the ways in which Baltimore is characterized in the media, and when I start to think about that, um, I kind of need to sort of speak to it on, on multiple levels, right? I think on one level, it, there's a way that like Black Twitter, for instance, will, will highlight uh, the linguistics of, of a Baltimore nigga, right? And mm -hmm. that, may, that may be in jest, that may be uh, fun, that may provide humor, um, and generally it is lighthearted, but I think when you juxtapose that with the way that white America um, views that media, then we start to enter into dangerous territories mm -hmm. uh, because they do not exist in those spaces and they cannot see the whole spectrum, right? So uh, for, for instance, to go to another story of me being here in Seattle, if everything that you see are like, Niggas like niggas on Twitter being like to you da 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 da, uh, 
or The Wire, mm. right? <laughs> Number one. Yeah. Then that is the dominant characterization of Baltimore people to you. Because you do not go there, right? And you do not, you do not live in that city. You do not see it for yourself. Um, and it, it probably is more frequent in places that exist on the West Coast. Because they're probably not going over there. If you're going over there, you're probably going to New York, Atlanta, a bunch of other places, but you're not going to Baltimore. Baltimore is not on your, your tourist destination bucket list or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so where it culminated for me is when I was sitting in a space and there was a conversation going on and I had a white person turn to me and say, well, we've all seen The Wire, right? Maxwell, you probably are glad that you're not there anymore, right? And so what that person did in essence is apply everything that they had seen from The Wire and on Black Twitter, which are limited experiences and not indicative of the whole culture that exists within Baltimore, which is so beautiful, and applied that to me. It's like, that is who you are. You cannot show up any other way. Like, that is your experience. When the reality is, like, Chantel, we grew up in Northeast Baltimore. Nick, I had bunnies outside my door. I have them now. I had a big ass backyard. I had a peach tree. Foxes. Yes. Raccoons. Exactly. I had my own room. Nigga, I didn't want for nothing. I was I had a very privileged experience in Baltimore. And there, there's considerably a there are considerable a lot of people who are black, who are white, who are Latinx, who have had very disturbing and you know experiences that I guess would be relative to what you see on the wire, but that's not the majority of the people who live here. So I'm just like I don't I don't understand when certain people come and they say things like that to you or they say like they things like that to me and I'm just like have you ever been to Baltimore like I'm sure a lot of people could say that from like Detroit from Philly from Chicago they've been saying Chirac for the longest from LA they love talk about LA gang culture and Compton but have you ever stepped foot over there you're probably scared because you're thinking everybody a cripple of blood you know, so I'm just like, that's why I, I really wanted to ask that question um, about media portrayal, because most of the time, it's not, ref- it's not indicative of the experiences of the people who are walking the streets and living their life there every day. Like, Sean, I know you ain't like a huge fan of Baltimore, but like, I know you ain't sit up there and be like, this the wire every day, like, <laughs> you know? No, yeah. And you know, so like, It's really interesting because I think of a place, even when I was in Baltimore, like I said, it was, it reminded me of Richmond a lot in a lot of ways. Um, And I think Richmond gets a pass, but what people don't realize is Richmond was a a pretty violent city in the 90s, early 2000s. You know, we were dealing with the crack epidemic. Um, There was a, a real issue of 
it's it's not as so prevalent now, although it still exists, but the racism within the Richmond Police Department, the detectives that they had, you know, it was very like a lot of what you're seeing now in terms of police brutality um, was very prevalent in Richmond when I was growing up, but we didn't have the access to social media and video camera phones and all that we have now. Um, and I think that that is sort of unfortunately uh what has tarnished like that reputation for baltimore is that it when when it was going through it when it's as it's going through its burst and its boom and its bubble and its uprising and its rebirth its regeneration however you want to look at it um you're in a larger spotlight but when things were happening like as i was up there i could easily point to a time period in um during my childhood when I was growing up in Richmond, that was very similar to the experience that was happening in Baltimore. Um, and so I think that that media portrayal and being able to have people who are able to authentically tell the narratives, you know, Maxwell, like you were saying, is extremely important because you don't, you don't get the full spectrum of the story. You go to Richmond now and it's, you know, young white professionals and VCU that's bought up everything. And, oh wow! Um, completely gentrified, like Jackson War, which was the richest black area um, in um, Richmond. That's where like Arthur Ashe and um, Adam C. J. Walker and all of them had their homes. Um, and so, like, you just don't you don't get that same experience. You know, Richmond now is known for its festivals, its breweries, its concerts, and, and it's just like. No, it was not very uncommon, you know, for me to be um, 10, 12 and walk outside and have to not step on a crack needle. Um, or, you know, you're coming outside and you're watching uh, detectives beat up the drug dealer or you're watching, um, you know, the neighbors across the street get into a, a huge domestic violence situation or you're ducking under the windowsill because the gunshots are, you know, coming out. I tell people all the time, like, I grew up in most of my friends that I went to high school, middle school with, like, they got killed by gun violence. And you don't hear a lot of those stories coming out of Richmond because it wasn't during a time where, you know, you had that that complete media presence. And the narratives are completely different then as well. Yeah, that leads me to ask, like, what do people get right or get wrong about the place you're from or the place that you've you've claimed or represent or like whatever like do people do do people walk up to you and get something right about where you're from or do they always just say things that are completely like obscured and like they just like there's some truth to it but it's not the full complete truth mm-hmm. people think richmond is a is like a a small backwater like country place is really interesting to me it's you know because you, you don't get the full metropolitan picture and then when you think virginia outside of northern virginia people immediately associate like country or county and i'm like no i grew up in the hood <laughs> like you know we had trees and stuff but you know i grew up in the hood um and so I don't know. It's always interesting, like how they characterize uh, the city, but also you can you can tell when they've had their interaction to Richmond as well and where they're from. Uh, and then a lot of Richmond's identity, of course, like I said, you know, you had it wasn't very uncommon from people in the north and in New York and all that to send their 
their nephews or cousins or whatever down to Richmond because they thought that it was a calmer place. What what happened was you ended up pulling sort of that transient crime down with you along with whatever was already mixed in there. Like I remember we would battle with turf wars, like there were neighborhoods, you know, mm. um, the projects that would literally come into other areas and there would be drive-by shootings. Um, so yeah, it's it's really, now in 2020, um, you probably won't hear a lot of stories about Richmond because a lot of those people have either, um, you know, they're dead or they're like me and are the generation that have moved out or they're mm. people who settled there, like my aunts and names, um, who live in the county. Like none of my aunts, I think with the exception of like one, uh, lives in the city. They live in the county. And so they may do outskirts because it, it's very much like Baltimore where it's a city surrounded by um, independent counties. But mm. yeah, Richmond was a vibrant, it was a vibrant place, but it was also a violent place at one time but you don't hear that stories you always hear the oh yeah i went down there for a festival or, yeah i went down there for a concert or yeah they have a great brewery it's known now for food so you look on like uh the the travel channel and it's always in the top 10 for food destinations hmm. <laughs> i'm just like oh that's nice <laughs> when did, when did that happen? <laughs> that, that's nice but you and you really start to see the remnants because like the cost of living is still fairly affordable for the most part. Um, but, you know, that's even a discussion to be had because you have to be a working professional, at least a degree or some aspect. So it's very, it's become very white, very like young, middle class sort of our generation that's taken over. But yeah. Um, I have, I have a question for you all. Cause because I am trying to do the work uh, and I want to actively give, specifically, I want to actively give Black people uh, the space to um, express themselves and then also like show me who they are. As facilitators, uh, Anthony and Sean, like how do you engage in conversations so that you don't like immediately allow your subconscious to take over and jump to conclusions about people. I love how you didn't say Chantel, cause <laughs> I guess I guess I'm too black for to, to be a facilitator. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's like they. The <laughs> <laughs> They proclaimed it themselves. So. No, but no, no, seriously, they got that because I'm definitely not. I'm too black to be a facilitator, Max. <laughs> so there's something that I thought about that um, rang for me that you said earlier was in talking about. So we also do affinity group work for public workshops where it's just people of color. And by that, I mean black, Asian, Latinx, Native people. Um, talking about like confronting racism with history, common language and all that. So there's this like eight week journey that you're going on and having co deep conversations about race with people that aren't just black, which my experience was, we only had that with conversations with black people. Um, and so to, to go through that and understand that it is actually very common in those workshops that we have people that were adopted and have white parents 
and are trying to navigate not only being a person of color in America, but also like they are just starting to like tiptoe their way into black culture for them. And so the the conversation that you never know where people are and, and it may sound like, oh, they sound very white acculturated based on the way that they speak. Like there's always so much more that is behind that. And for me, it's always just keeping that in mind <laughs> and um, being patient and asking questions about it. Because uh, I think to what you said earlier, having the assumptions and being like, well, I'm gonna just cut you off and turn you off and, and, and not continue to engage. My thing is, I need to know more. It's like, I need to know more before I, I, you should put people in a box. I do put people in a box, but I'm like, before I put you in a box and think you have this line of thinking, I need to know more and like, be sure. And I just say, mine is always like, just be, have a curious mind about it. So. I think one of the great um, skills to develop as a facilitator is being able to tell a story or using storytelling as a form of education. Um, and not everybody is good at that. But if you're able to, like, I've noticed, especially with youth, as a facilitator, my role in the room is not to dictate or direct the direction in which the conversation is going, but to feed off of the things that they're telling me and what they're saying. So when you, when you really sit back and look at it, like, I'm just in the room as a traffic cop, really. Like, you know, I'm not there to tell the story or to educate, and I just let them know, like, you're, you're your own expert. Um, and I think that is the sort of the, the first thing, is just like when you go into the room, removing ego. So I don't go into the room with all of my credentials. I tell a story, I tell my background. Like you ask me where I'm from, you know, I tell where I'm from. Um, the high school education I had, how that impacted these things, maybe some of the jobs I've had and the, the experiences that have led me to be the person that's in front of the room at that moment. Um, but also like Michelle Obama really said something um, when she was just like, uh, we are more alike than we are different. And I think when you really get people in a space where they have an opportunity to share their story, you really start to pick that. And it may not come out in the same ways. You know, you may not be the black person who went to the public school and grew up in the hood, but you may understand what it's like not to have a parent come home or be raised in a single parent household. And for whatever reason, they could have been killed, they could have died early, they could have you know, left, whatever the case. And that may be that connection that you build over time and, and um, show you how those experiences you know, sort of intersect with other people. So I think that's just my thing as a facilitator. What's the story behind it? Um, how can I connect this to the larger picture or larger point that I'm trying to make? And I think Chantel's question helps go to the like, we've all talked about in different areas and where we've like had that shoe on our foot. And so to, the, to mine, a lot of people are like, oh, Charlestown, that's where the casino is. Yep, you're right about that. And pretty much anything else they ask, I'm like not right about. People wanna get into oftentimes white people will say, oh, you're from like Frederick or Charlestown. It must be pretty racist there. I don't wanna talk to you about that. I'm not gonna have a conversation with mm -hmm. you about that. And so it's also understanding and coming to like people confront me with shit that I don't want to talk about and they're total strangers. So like, what would this person want? And what mm -hmm. I want, kind of like what you're saying, Sean, is like, we're already having a conversation about where we're from. Then I feel a little bit more comfortable about like actually sharing with you. It's not for me to just offer up to you. Right. So you can just learn and say, I learned from this person and they're from whatever and I'm going to take their story with me. 
But it's like, if that's not what we want and what we, uh, a good feeling for us when people are like, I assume this about you, tell me some things so I can confirm that versus I want to mm-hmm. you and have a conversation with you. It's like, it's very different energy, very different energy. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, I, I love hearing what y'all are saying. I want to introduce some other things into the, the conversation um, that I have been witnessing on social media amongst uh, my peers and some of my family members. And uh, this specific instance relates to, to dating um, and interracial dating specifically. Uh, but I don't wanna, I don't wanna focus on that, that component, but it's important to recognize because it has to deal with Donald Glover. Uh, so I, I have a cousin who has a pension for uh, starting very inflammatory conversations on social media. Uh, and what he, he posted was some screen grab of a woman who was basically saying, a black woman who was basically saying to other black women, like, hey, don't be mad at the black man that you disregarded like the weird nigga that you disregarded, right? When you were younger, don't be mad when he goes out because you've excommunicated him, you've ostracized him, and he goes and he finds a white woman, or he goes and he dates outside of his race. Um, and so I want, I want to, I want to focus specifically. I mean, I think we can have, we can have the conversation about interracial dating, but I. I I don't think I, I don't think it'll allow us to have an uh, in-depth conversation. I, one thing that I would love to to focus on uh, that I think relates to the overall conversation we're having is this labeling of people as weird when they introduce something into your life that you're not familiar with. Uh, because I, I think it ties to this conversation, this larger conversation we're having about language mm-hmm. and regional dialects. And meeting people who are, are very much different than us. Um, and I remember talking to one of my friends, I won't say her name, and I think we were talking about someone uh, that she is considering dating. Uh, and so I forget this dude's background, but she was like, well, yeah, you like know he's like, he's a weirdo. Like, he's just like a weird. And like, I was like, how is he weird? I was like, oh, well, he does this and that. I was like, everyone is weird. Like, everyone has, like, unique sensibilities about them. Like, what makes him weird? Right? Like, why, why do we jump to that characterization of someone when, when they bring that to the table? Right? And why do we see the whole picture? Um, so I wonder what everyone's thoughts are on that. Go first, Chantel. You made that strong face earlier. <laughs> well, I mean, I just think it goes into what we were talking about previously with the sense of othering. Um, mm-hmm. But that's speaking more towards us doing that in our community, like we iterated earlier, you know. Um, I, me and Maxwell, we've talked about this too because we were talking about how in childhood, like we would go and do other things and how 
how actually uh, like the origin of our friendship is us kind of like accepting each other's quirks and that we weren't typical like we weren't typical people and you know in spaces with each other like we always had interactions with each other that just it seemed different so we connected by differences you know Mm -hmm. and so um not everybody is able to do that we hold a lot of um power in what quote unquote normal is and i think this all ties together because of i guess like when you when you cast someone out as a other you create power within yourself because you probably feel like a sense of strength or you you feel like a sense of connection to a a larger collective Mm -hmm. and you diminish this other person's like being and you're you're kind of like throwing stones at them for being who they are you know and that kind of speaks to what you were talking about earlier when you max when you had that um example of you and your coworker kind of being like or not you, but your coworker being like making eyes with you about another coworker and the like the inflections in her voice and being like, she not us, basically. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's my take on it. I don't got nothing to say about the interracial part right now, but I just think, um, cause that's, I feel like that's an entirely different conversation, yeah. but there are pieces of that that definitely belong in this conversation for sure. Yeah, I, we as a whole have a very hard time and a hard time with just accepting the the difference piece. And so mm-hmm. I remember growing up and really, really struggling and, and people have nostalgic moments over like the 90s, early 2000s and um, about like when they're like, oh, remember Britney Spears and NSYNC and all that? That shit was a hard time for me because it was very much of this is what you're supposed to look like. The TV shows too were like you're supposed to look this body type. You're supposed to like be this type of person. Um, and it wasn't until we started and getting to like maybe mid 2000s that it was like, it's okay to see people that aren't super slim. It's okay to see people of color mm-hmm. messy like this. I think we're just now getting into a place where there's like space for difference and that's for everybody as a whole. And I think just like anything else, it's doubled down on us as black people um, because white supremacy, again, is the thing that we breathe and that we drink. And so we also think, and we're caught up into black people are supposed to act and behave a certain way and have a certain attitude. And then it's also been put on us to police each other too. So like when you're not acting that way, then you need to be ostracized from the group because you're not acting black enough Mm -hmm. or doing the black enough thing. So I think we have like it, I think we have it twice as hard as everyone, well, probably more than twice as hard as everyone else. But I think it's generally a a human problem, not to get on all, I think it's generally a human problem, but I think there are some specifics about it that makes it even harder for us as black people. For me, it, it comes to a fear-based thing, um, being confronted with that thing that is other, that is different, also forces you to confront with the identity of how you show up and whether or not you actually like that thing. Because if you get to the space where you start to say, oh, this isn't too bad, then you gotta start questioning everything else. Um, And I really think that's the real challenge for people is that they end up being confronted 
with the authenticity of their own identities Mm -hmm. because they either one recognize that thing in someone else and they're seeing the reflection of it or they are it's something that they like they really deeply want to understand but they've been told they have to show up in this particular way so deviating from that sort of you know (laughs) it causes this this conundrum of identities Uh, and you see that a lot especially with like like what Anthony was saying, you know, black kids who are adopted by white parents or even black kids who are in predominantly white schools and they end up going to an HBCU or something, right? There's this consistent moment where we have to figure out our identities and who we are. And it doesn't stop. Like, it, it, you, you deal with it through death. Um, but it's just a lot easier for you to other, for you to consider that thing weird because you then don't have to confront that thing within you. For sure. Max, how, how do you feel? You got any more questions? No, no, no. <laughs> Did I turn into a facilitator, Loki? <laughs> you black. You know, and like I still have my honorary host card, right? So <laughs> Of course, of course. <laughs> but I just I because I, I have one last question and I think it might tie everything together. Um but I wanted to make sure everybody got what they wanted out first, Max. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so my question is, and I, this is going to be the wrap up, unless anybody else has anything additional to add, you know, before Anthony closes everything up for homework. But um, what does it mean to hold or carry a certain identity of being from, I guess, a certain geographical location? Like, do you carry a certain identity or are you, do you, how do you, how do you carry it? Like, Ooh, I think that's really good for me. Like I, so I consider Richmond, I consider Virginia in some instances to be Switzerland. Um, when when you when you think about it in some ways, like it's a very it could be as they consider a purple state, you know, it could go one. Of, we, we don't really have any true allegiances to anybody, <laughs> um, and so I think that has really informed a lot of how I navigate life. That I'm very middle of the road on a lot of things, you know, politically, you know, I'm, I'm completely far off the road left, um, and no question about that. Make we legal free everybody, fire all the police, burn the shit down. (laughs) I'm here for it. I'm here for it. But I've also learned to be very diplomatic and strategic and how I navigate those things because that's just the area that I came from. Like you don't you don't hear of until recently like a lot of political scandals coming out of Richmond. There was you know you don't hear a lot like it's not something that you really hear about. Um, and I think being able to navigate that where it's like, we know what's going on. Like, if you're from there, you really know what's going on. Um, it, it's kind of really shaped how I show up. Like, I may be quiet when I first interact and engage, but I'm scanning, I'm paying attention to behaviors, I'm paying attention to what you don't say when you need to speak up. Who says what, how they say it. Um, for instance, I had a coworker the other day, we were talking, I'm doing recon work, and, you know, trying to figure out who the people are and she mentioned one of the um the board members who was younger and 
it was that going back to that triggering word, right? She said articulate, and immediately I associated them like this man is black because this white woman that said, you know, she's using all of the, the words, oh, he's really nice and he's very young and he's very straightforward and he's articulate. And I'm just like, okay, this is a nigga. Uh, <laughs> let me go. <laughs> let me go find out who this guy is. But it also, I also at that point didn't say to her, well, you know, articulate is, he, you know, I didn't do that facilitator thing. Because the Richmond in me was like, okay, sit back and figure out, you know, how this play out, get a little bit more information on her. Where you think about places that you hear, like a New York or whatever, like they don't take shit from nobody. They don't do, you know, um, being from a space that was, it's sort of a little unknown and very under the radar has helped me to really walk into spaces where they think I'm one person. And then when something pop off and I respond in a way, it, you know, they're very taken aback by it. But that's very much our place. We're very much nice, nasty. Um, and, you know, you pull that Southern shade out when you need to, but it's not the, we're, we're very homey as well. So, you know, you want to know people's story. You interact with people. We get that space where, you know, you see somebody on the street, good morning, how you doing? It's, it's very, when I moved to Baltimore, it, I didn't have that. And it was only three hours away, but it was a very sort of um, triggering thing for me and also goes to speak to, you know, when you're talking about I didn't mean show up, like it was a different type of Black people. Mm -hmm. But also I had to figure out like what's going on here that has put people in the space mm -hmm. that, you know, that's just not the norm and not the culture. And it, it helped me to understand. Them. So yeah, Richmond helps me to pull out the stories to be a little bit more diplomatic, but also don't don't fool yourself. Yeah, I, <laughs> I I think to to answer a question, um, and uh, I echo Sean's kind of perspective on this. Um, if you have the opportunity to move to different environments, it can be so key in just forming and, and shaping your lens and educating you on on humanity, really. Mm -hmm. um, and so for, for me, I carry the grit of Baltimore with me everywhere I go. I, I, will, I will never not, <laughs> I'll never, like, I'll never not, like, I won't. I, I won't do that um, because that is where I draw my strength. Um, that is where I draw my, my perseverance and, and that's where I get my can-do attitude from. Um, there, there's a resilience that exists within the, the black people of Baltimore that is almost unmatched. Um, and it, it's taught me a lot. Uh, but then uh, when I start to look at the other places that I live, for instance, when I went to Philadelphia, I lived uh, in Center City. Mm. And there was a lot that was done there to just unpack my homophobia, right? Mm. Um, and uh, unpack some of the very negative behaviors that, that I had in relationships, in relationship to people that I really didn't have any interaction with when I was there. Um, and so I think it's important to kind of like sit in these spaces that you occupy and figure out how you're evolving your identity, right? Take a little bit from each of those places. Um, and that's what I've been doing. I, I've been trying to figure out 
what it means to be in Seattle now. Uh, and because when I initially got here, I was completely repulsed by the culture. Oh, I remember. Yeah. <laughs> I was completely repulsed by the culture. Hate it, hate it. Was it was not long at all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I, I've started to do some of the work and um, provide myself clarity on what it means to be a Black person in Seattle. Uh, and, and that has opened up my, my lens and, and that has taught me uh, parts of myself that as a Black man, I'm thankful for. Uh, so I, I think it's important to, to carry those identities um, with you wherever you go, but you need to be really introspective about what it means mm -hmm. from those spaces and, and do that work. Um, so I still am not, I don't know if word is willing, but not. Like, I ain't fucking with it. I, I'm still not willing to give, I guess, a little bit of grace or credit to where I'm from. <laughs> and so what my takeaway has always been is the, um, it's kind of like black people living in a small town. It's kind of like what I've been like, oh, and that is why. Not the credit of the town or the city, but like this is what black people have to do in like a small town. And so I think about stories like when my grandmother would tell me that like back in the day, there was a diner that they used to attend and there, they had a white woman that would sit at the front door for the only purpose that she would get paid to ring the bell when black people came in. So the owner would know and people in the restaurant would know to watch in case somebody was gonna steal. And my grandmother and her sister basically cussed the woman out and threatened her, and then she stopped doing it. And so it's like there's things like that in a small town that you can't depend on politics and mm. these processes that like you have in other places to support you. It's that this you're black in a small town and you got to just like handle shit on your own. The conflict you're having with a neighbor across the street, like if they black, y'all argue, you fight, and then whatever happens happens after that. I think that's what I get out of where I'm from is that there's a, um, it was new to me coming here and being in um, like mixed neighborhoods or being like the neighborhood right over is white and they call the cops because of loud music and shit like that. All that was like new to me because you just have this resilience and this kind of like understanding that we all work this shit out together and we figure it out. Like these systems and those things out there, those ain't for us. And we figure this out ourselves. And so I think that was different when I got here. And I do appreciate that, that it was like, okay, that what I see from my like ancestors and from like my family members that are living, like that tenacity um, is like, okay, I think that I get that from like black people being in a small town and being like, we don't have like that support. So we got to do it on our own. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, for me, you guys said a mouthful, like, and it was beautiful. Um, but what I want to say is the identity that I carry. And I think this is more, I'm more aware of it when I'm in different countries. If I travel to different countries, mm -hmm. than if I'm in a city or a state that's in the United States, um, I am, I definitely, um, I'm, I, I, I watch the door, you know, I, and very, I look at my surroundings to see who's a threat. Um, and I mean, that comes from me. That comes from me being a girl from Baltimore. 
and um i normally i try not to talk to strangers that's just like my not like like a thing that um i've always been brought up to do but i've opened myself up to it more and i don't know if that leads me to danger or if that you know leads me to another positive experience until i do it and then i get what i get from it so i'm always just aware of who i'm interacting with and scanning the room or my environment to see what's going on and i i mean it's interesting that i say that it i do that more often in other countries because especially if i don't know the culture very well or the language like things can be taken completely out of context or misconstrued um i think i try to study up on things more and let go of my um more of my baltimore or american attitude when i'm operating or moving around in other countries when i'm in different cities and stuff in the united states though it's on okay (laughs) (laughs) but um i definitely carry that identity with me and there was a point in time where i didn't want to especially around the time when freddie gray was murdered and the uprisings happened and i remember specifically taking a cruise and talking to a guy in saint thomas and I told him I was from Maryland, but it's mostly because I didn't know how to navigate that space and talk mm. about his death and talk about the injustice that we saw and talk about the Baltimore task force and talk about how my brother and a few of my male friends have been victims of police brutality and crimes and harassment from the same cops that you saw kill Freddie Gray. Like, you know, I didn't know how to talk about that. And I didn't want to ha- have those conversations. Like we've, you know, we've reiterated. Um, but I carry it with me and I'm conscious of who I am and that I'm a girl from Baltimore. But I also lend myself the space and the openness to be in the environment that I am and try to absorb it and soak it up. Like most of you are kind of, well, Max talked about too, but I mean, um, I do. I do carry it. Yep. And um, we'll see in a few years if I got a little bit more grays and wrinkles, if it's a burden <laughs> on me or if it's a blessing. So, um, but that was the last question I had. Do Does anybody have anything that they want to end this conversation with? I think it was a really good one. Do, do we have, um, do we have homework? Can I suggest homework? Look at Max. Look at Max. Good job. I'm here. It's COVID. It's COVID time. I got time now. I got time now. Look at Max. Interested to the homework. Classmates, I hope you took down some good notes for this lesson because it's time for homework. Uh, so one of the the books that I've been reading and and one of the the catalysts for the conversation that led to the one that we're having now is this book called Black Skin, White Mass by Franz Fanon. Um, it does a great job of just outlining the condition uh, of whites and blacks who live in a colonized state. Mm. Uh, all of them, all of them colonized, goddamn. Yeah, so it goes through language, it goes through uh, interracial relationships, uh, specifically uh, black 
blacks or Negroes wanting to date European people. Uh, and it kind of unpacks that psychology. And, and it's really insightful uh, in terms of getting just kind of a, a scientific view of what you go through. And so I, I encourage anybody who has time, pick up that book by Fanon. Uh, he does a beautiful job of illustrating, you know, the things that we face in this world. Nice. Well, who has another homework then? I'll go. My homework is the Hulu movie that I talked about before, Hillbillies. Um, mm. And then um, another is going to be, um, I didn't share this with Chantel, but I'm going to create a playlist um, and it'll be part of our Turn Up Tuesdays um, for some, I want to do one that specifically that's kind of like killing music in times like this after we've seen um, so much police brutality and, and, and protesting, but I also want to do one that's kind of like a, a motivated to go out and protest playlist. So um, this, um, when you look at our Turn Up Tuesdays, they're going to be for like the next couple of times themed instead of just like the new songs that are out. So check out our Turn Up Tuesdays on our IG. Can I be a part of that? Can you, are you about to, about to put it on Spotify? Can it be a, a, a collaborative? Oh, cool. Yeah, we can do that. All right, I'm with, okay. it. I'm with it. You know I'm always here for the for the music. Okay. The one thing that Seattle actually gave me is um, just kind of like, it sparked a fire with me in terms of like trying to research mm-hmm. music and history. And there's like a deep uh, analog community here. So you can like really, really find things that you, you wouldn't have like. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, so I'm, I'm with the shits. I'm with the shits okay. there. Okay, shoot. You want to do one, Sean? My, uh, I don't know where that came from. My homework would be for people just to take a moment to disconnect um, and focus very deeply and intentionally on the breaths that you're taking um, and just exist in the moment. Like, don't try and anticipate it's going to happen tomorrow or next week or, you know, it's, it's really good even as we are participating in sort of this rebirth um, of our lives and how we show up in this country. Like, it's also important for us to take moments to say, I don't have to engage in that at this moment. You know, we don't have to be on every minute of every hour. And so that's just my homework. I always try and tell people, slow down take a moment to reflect, you know, saying I'm lazy is the language of guilt and we need to remove that from our vocabulary. Like you're not lazy, you are resting, you are repairing, you are healing, you're rejuvenating and that's okay. Sean, I want people to slow down. Yes. You better. Slow it down. I like that. So I was gonna, I was gonna, um, direct you all to the guided meditations i guess we're all in the same just thinking the same thing i'm gonna do that (laughs) i'm going to do that there is a playlist if you do have spotify um there are a few guided meditation playlists that you can listen to or if you want to listen to gentle rain sounds or ocean sounds or um, white noise they have that so if you want to take a few minutes to yourself and um you know gather your thoughts and your energy 
please utilize those. But I also have an artist that I listen to. Um, if I don't listen to a jazz, I mean, sorry, if I don't listen to a guided meditation, I usually like to listen to jazz. Um, that's one thing that my father introduced me to that has continued to like stick with me. Um, smooth jazz or, um, you know, just jazz, something, uh, it's, it's a playlist called like jazz, jazz electronica or something mm -hmm. on um, Spotify that I also listen to, but there's an artist that I found, um, through these playlists and his name is Kiefer, K-I-E-F-E-R. Sean's shaking his head. Max is shaking his head because y'all know the truth. I love a good. I love Spotify. I think Spotify does the best for curating playlists. And I've argued with people about this up and down, but yes, yes. I love it. So Kiefer, um, he has some really great tracks. Um, I actually put one of my coworkers on. She was having a really really stressful day at work one time, and I introduced her to his music. And she really enjoyed it. So if you do like smooth jazz, please look him up. Um, he has a couple like cute graphics on some of his songs um, on Spotify. Because I know some of you will see if you do have Spotify that they do like little graphics and stuff in correlation to their songs. So um, yeah, I think the overall theme of homework is get some rest. Okay. Right. Whatever in whatever capacity, rest your eyes, rest your spirit. Rest your eyes and your spirit. <laughs> Drink your water. Yeah, your grandmama. Business, you know. <laughs> file your toenails. I don't know. Whatever the whatever rest look like to you. Oh God. Don't know, but they're uh, not. You bite them. No, I don't. I, that's the problem. I don't. I don't do nothing. I don't know. I don't. I don't let them grow. <laughs> Girl, <laughs> I need to cut them now. Uh, All I'm saying is, I received that message. <laughs> <laughs> A long road to get there. Yeah. So, um, I'm about to close out with social media. Do you want me to do it, or you want to do it like you used to do, like the homework, Max? You want to do the social media too, or are you? Hey, call um, you out again. Uh, you all, you all good. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm stepping on toes. <laughs> no, I really meant it though. Like, I think all of my, I think I've, there's been a big miscommunication all this time because y'all think I've been being shady and I've actually. <laughs> well, your natural disposition. <laughs> Just a miscommunication this whole time. Yeah. Sure. I can't, help, I can't help being shady. There's no other mode. <laughs> it's not shade. This is just who I am. Natural shade. Uh, well, first, um, I'll let you all plug your social media and then we'll do that with that, um, social media and um, platform plugs. So, Max and Sean? Yeah, Maxwell Van Burke, uh on IG and Facebook. I am Humanist Sean on IG, H-U-M-A-N-I-S-T-S-E-A-N. That's it. Okay. And so, um, No Class Podcast, you can find us on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Facebook, and IG at No Class Podcast. On Twitter, we are No Underscore Class Podcast. Tumblr, we're No Dash Class Podcast. And you can hit us up via Gmail at no.classpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to be a guest, have ideas for a topic. And if you would like to slide into our DMs or hit us up and say, hey, we want to get you some donations, 
because we like the sound of your voices, the topics that you bring, the content that you have. It feeds my soul. So I want to put some money in your pocket. You can do that as well. We have uh, a feature on our Instagram, on Linktree, where they can um, send donations if you're you're feeling compelled, which I hope you are. I think it's going to be for a good cause. Hit up our Linktree. Mm -hmm. um, and then make sure that you rate us. Rate us on iTunes, Google, do all the things. Um, give us all the feedback. Give us all the stars. Um, anything else before we close it off, everybody? Well, this is our last episode. We're taking a break. Oh, yeah. This is the last episode that we're going to have for the spring semester. Um, we're going to take a few weeks off, and then we'll come back. We have some new surprises and add-ons when we do come back. Um, of course, like we do every season, have different topics and different guests. So you all be well and stay connected with us via social media while we're on our break. You'll probably notice that we'll have a little bit more of a presence during our, our break because we want to stay connected with you all somehow and there's a lot that's happening. So stay engaged with us. All right. Word. Stay melanated, hydrated, and glowed up and we will see y'all classmates next week.